Welcome to McCullough Christian Center's broadcast today. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.purposemcc.com. And now, here's our pastor, Cornelius Phillips, with today's message. I've been kind of uh, conflicted on which way to go tonight, but uh, I think think I'm going to start in, in Genesis chapter 21, and then we're going to move move from there. Uh, we've been talking about worship for the past couple of weeks, and um, I've been doing the main the main series of preaching on worship on Sunday morning, but. These these little uh, rabbit trails uh, come up, and so that's what I've been trying to cover on Wednesday night is some of the uh, some of the things that uh, God kind of directed me or, or shown me on uh, with Him, and uh, you know the thing the thing with all of us doesn't matter who you are doesn't matter how spiritual you think you are doesn't matter how long you've been in it or how uh, how short a time you've been in it we're all going to have those times in our lives when when we're going to battle in certain areas whether it's it's a struggle uh, personally that you're struggling with something personally uh, because here's the thing about it as, as men and women of God, God loves us enough. He cares enough about us to save us first. Even, even while uh, even us being yet sinners, the decision was made that Christ would die for us. And that's pretty awesome within itself. But God loves us enough to save us. But even more than that, He loves us enough to not allow us to stay where He found us. And so God is always working in us. He is always working. That is the work of Holy Spirit that continues to, to reveal Christ to us. Jesus said about Holy Spirit, he said, when he has come, the comforter, when he has come, he will teach you all things. He will show you things to come. He will, he will reprove the world of sin. He will reprove the world of judgment or righteousness and judgment. And so Holy Spirit will testify of Christ. So Holy Spirit lives in me. He dwells in me, dwells in you. The Bible says we have this treasure in earthen vessels, which is the treasure is Holy Spirit inside of this, this old chunk of clay. I heard somebody say the other day that if you took this body and reduced it back down to the dirt from whence it was made from, you might have about $50 worth of dirt. That's a high price for this much dirt. But 
But that's, that's what we are. But the awesome thing about it is that we have a treasure inside. I've got something inside of me that, that you can't see that is more valuable than, than gold. It is more valuable than the, the wealth and the riches of this world. I've got the treasure of Holy Spirit that lives inside of me. He is empowering me. He is anointing me. He is giving me revelation. The Bible says in the book of Ephesians that, that Paul prayed. He said that God would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. So what I'm saying is on a consistent basis, if I am sensitive to what God is doing, if I'm sensitive to the work of Holy Spirit in my life, God is constantly showing me things about Christ that I have not previously known. God is constantly revealing himself more and more to me. He's not doing that so that I can stand up and say, look how smart I am, or look how intelligent I am, or, or look at how many scriptures I can quote. He's doing that so that I can get closer to him, and because as I get closer to Christ, then the more of Christ that is seen in me. And the more of Christ that is seen in me, the greater impact I'm going to have on my culture around me. The more that I get to know him, the more that I love him. And the more that I love him, the more I want to share him. And the more I share him, the more his kingdom is going to grow. Your, will, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so, friend, that's what it's all about. God loved me enough that he didn't leave me where he found me. He found me in a mess. He redeemed me from that mess. And he is constantly working in my life to get me to the place that one day salvation is going to be fulfilled in my life and he's coming back to get me. He's coming back to get us. Isn't that awesome? So here's the thing. Here's the thing. Don't ever get to the place to where you think that you've got everything there is from God to get because you hadn't, all right? Don't ever get to the place to think, well, God saved me. He redeemed me. I know I'm saved. I know I'm born again. That's all there is to it. The rest of the Christian life is boring and, and just humdrum. You've got the wrong idea about God. Listen, God is infinite. God is unsearchable. He is immeasurable. You can't find the depth of God. You can't find the, he the height, the length, the breadth of God. It is something that God is constantly showing us more and more and more. And if you listen, I say this about, or you can look in, in the world, in, in nature, if it's living and not growing, it will soon die. Every living organism has been created living so that it will grow. And it's no different from us as Christians. God wants us to grow. God wants us to be growing constantly. I was talking to a pastor today, and we were talking about he was making some changes in his church, and, 
and doing some things differently in his church and he was all excited about it and he said but you know pastor he said it's just been a process of 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 working and and trying to get the vision across and get people to understand that I'm not going against the word of God I'm not changing the bible I'm just changing the scenery and and we were talking about that and I said yeah that's 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 awesome and and we've got to understand God wants us to move listen build yourself on the word of God but grow from that I don't know why I came up with all that. But in, in Genesis chapter 21, I, I just want to start there because talking about that God wants you to grow, God wants you to move. God doesn't want you to stay. Listen, I'm proud of my godly heritage and, and I'm proud of, of having a, a, a father and a mother that loved me enough that they taught me about the word of God that they they didn't only teach me they showed me how to live a Christian life and I'm extremely proud of that but listen I can't I can't settle on what they did I've got to grow I've got to move forward and I've got to mature and so in that knowing that that God wants us to grow he wants us to continue to mature and and uh, in him understanding that that's where Abraham was uh, in his walk with God that God even Abraham the father of our faith Abraham the father of our faith didn't become the father of our faith by not stepping out he became the father of our faith because he stepped out and did things that didn't necessarily feel good to the flesh but he knew that God had spoke to him. And so uh, starting in Genesis 21, I'm going to just kind of kind of give, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a flyover of Genesis 21, and then we're going to move somewhere else. But I mentioned this Sunday morning uh, in the message that the amazing thing about God testing Abraham when he told him to take Isaac, his son, and, and go to a place of which he would show him and offer Isaac there as a sacrifice to God. I, I talked about that when God did that, the, the thing that I saw uh, that took place before that was that Abraham uh, had to deal with Ishmael. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the story, but God had told Abraham that he was going to bear a son, told him that he was going to be the father of many nations. And, and so Abraham believed that, and he walked in that. The thing about it was that Sarah, uh, Abraham's wife, was barren. She wasn't able to have uh, children. So what God spoke to Abraham was contrary to what actually existed. All right? What God spoke to Abraham about being the father of many nations at that moment, it was contrary to what Abraham was seeing with his eyes and what he was experiencing. 
Sometimes God will God will reveal, listen, that's that's the awesomeness of God, that God will reveal something to you that you look at it in the natural and it is totally contrary. What God said is totally contrary to what's going on in the natural. But it is in that that God begins to work and begins to move us to the place and get us to the place to where we can say, you know what, God said it, I believe it, so I know that it's going to take place. Abraham, uh, after uh, about 10 years, I think it is, after God had first called he and his family out of their homeland into that land that God said, I'm going to give you, about 10 years later, I can see Sarai. She knows what God has said, but she's barren. She hasn't been able to bring us uh, to bear a child. And so she looks at Abraham and she says, Look, you know, 10 years ago God spoke this and said this, and, and when he said it, it was contrary to our situation. Uh, and and I, I have struggled with this for 10 years, and I've had my hopes up, and I've had them dashed, and I've had them up, and I've had them crash again. So, so here's what I think we need to do, and I think this might be what God wants us to do. I've got Hagar, uh, my, my servant girl. I'm going to give her to you, and you can father a child with Hagar, and that's where your seed's going to come from. Well, the, 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 to make a long story short, Abraham undoubtedly didn't argue. You know, he, he undoubtedly didn't fuss about it because he went right on and, and had a child with Hagar. The child's name was Ishmael, all right? And so Ishmael comes and, and uh, becomes a young man, and the Bible says that, that Ishmael was a child of the flesh. He was a son born of the flesh, all right? And so a few years later, God works and moves in Sarai she has a son named Isaac it was a miracle Sarah was 90 something years old Abraham was around 100 years old it was a miracle but it was the promise of God being fulfilled in their lives and so Isaac came on now when Isaac was born there was conflict between Isaac and Ishmael. There was conflict between Sarah and Hagar. And that conflict is what I want to kind of talk a little bit about tonight because there is still a conflict between the promise in you and the flesh in you or the promise in me and the flesh in me because the flesh in me is always wanting to oppose what God is wanting to do in my life. My flesh is always wanting to go contrary to what God is wanting me to do. But I listen, I've got to deal with my flesh in order to get to the place where God can use me to be the light that he wants me to be in the darkness of our culture. If I want to change my family, I've got to deal with this flesh. And sometimes God will use things in my life 
that will be steering currents. He will use things in my life that are not necessarily comfortable for me, but he's doing it in order to steer me in a direction to where I can get to the place where I can say, okay, God, I totally trust you. I totally believe your word. God, I totally believe that what you said you're going to do, I trust you. I didn't like how I got here. I didn't like how it felt getting here. I didn't want to be pulled under the door. I would have rather the door be open. But God said, saw fit to pull me under the door, under the threshold. Sometimes, instead of giving you a key, God says, I'm just going to pull you through the keyhole because I want you to know that you're stronger than what you think you are. So I didn't really like how I got to where I am. I really didn't really feel good, but God, I'm glad that I'm here because I look back now and I say, look at what God did when I was feeling at my lowest, when I was feeling like I was of no good and no value. Look back where God brought me from and look at where I am now. Here I am standing on a mountain uh, having my child right there and God gave me a ram in the thicket. Look what God God did. I thought I was going to have to do something that was going to mess me up, but God didn't have mess up in mind. He had fix up in mind. And so he just brought me to this place and look what God has done. See, that is the amazing thing about God. That God, if, listen, I am learning that if I will just simply go with God, God always works things out. He always works out. He's always faithful. And so I'm having trouble on staying on task here, but maybe a couple hours from now we'll be we'll be back on. But the Bible says that when Ishmael and Isaac clashed. Sarah looked and said, this child and his mother has got to go. This child and his mother cannot be in the same house with my son of promise. God gave me a son of promise. This is a son of the flesh. This is, this is we messed up. We made a bad decision. We tried to help God. We tried to, listen, you got to be careful when you try to help God. When you try to help God, uh, the promise of God come about in, in your life because if you're not careful, you'll wind up with a counterfeit. God said, I want to give you the real stuff, but, but Abraham and Sarah, you wound up with a counterfeit. And now because you got a counterfeit in your life, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take some strong things to get rid and deal with that counterfeit. counterfeit. All right? And so Sarah looked at Abraham and said, said Daddy, got to go. He can't stay in the house with me and Isaac. And the Bible says that Abraham really struggled with this. The Bible says that uh, when uh, she told this thing to Abraham in chapter 21 and verse 11, or let's look at verse 10 or verse 9. 
And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, uh, which she had borne unto Abraham, mocking. He was mocking Isaac. And wherefore she said to Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac. Listen, this is a, this is a beautiful picture, and you can go over it to the book of Galatians. I think it's Galatians chapter 4. You can go over and see where Paul used this to illustrate uh, the separation of law and spirit. And it's a beautiful story there. But, but here's the thing. Guys, the biggest problem in my life is, is when I am divided on my allegiance to God. And that's what this represents. It represents a divided allegiance. It represents uh, the son of the flesh and the son of the spirit. And God, God, uh, God allowed this, uh, and there has to come a time. There came a time with Abraham and Sarah that they had to separate. They had to drive. They had to draw a line in the sand and say, look, we're not going to go this route anymore. Listen, just because you messed up years ago doesn't mean that you continue to walk in that mess up. Just because you made some bad decisions a few years ago doesn't mean that you continue to make bad decisions today. Somewhere down, Somebody told me one time, they said, son, a dead-end road is a dead-end road only if you refuse to turn around. But if you turn around, it's not a dead end. Listen, I want to tell you tonight, and I don't know why this is all coming up. I didn't have all this planned, but I'm telling you, doesn't matter what happened the other year or last year or last week. Listen, don't continue to repeat the same mistake over and over and over and over again. Stop what you're doing. Understand that God is saying, I want to turn you around, but don't keep going in the same path. And that's what Abraham and Sarah had to do. And listen, some of the hardest decision that you will ever have to make is when you have to say, okay, this is not working this is not God's plan for my life. This is not going in the direction that God wants me to go in. This is leading me away from God. It is tearing me. It is pulling me away from God. It is dividing my allegiance to God. So, so I'm going to make a decision that's, I'm going to cut that thing off. I'm going to sever that thing. Now listen, in, in the book of, uh, in chapter 21 of Genesis chapter 21 the Bible says in verse 11 that the thing was very grievous in Abraham's sight because of his son listen there was an attraction to that son even though it was he was born out of the will of God I believe and even though it was not God's plan for Abraham to do that. There was a connection there with Abraham and Ishmael. It, well, it was his son. All right? And so that connection was hard. And when, oh, I can imagine, when Sarah looked at Abraham and said, Lord, you know, Sarah called Abraham Lord. All right? Judy calls me Lord. (laughs) 
pastor. <laughs> no, I'm getting deeper and deeper and deeper. Let me stop right there, turn around, and go back, all right? Uh, yeah, yeah. But Sarah called Abraham Lord, all right? And so I can, I can, I can picture being in, in the living room when, when Sarah looks at Abraham and said, Lord, Hagar and Ishmael, Ishmael got to go. And I can see Abraham when she says that to him. It's like hitting him in the head with a, with a uh, stick of wood or something, and, and, and it shakes him to the very core. And, and he was grievously, he, he struggled with it. The Bible says that, that uh, it was very grievous to him. Uh, and that word grievous uh, is a word that means I believe he got angry about it. I believe he got frustrated. If, if something grieves you, it frustrates. It's, it's a word that half of it is, is frustration and the other half of it is hurt. And so it was grievous to Abraham, and, and I imagine he wanted to rise up. I imagine he wanted to stand up, all right? I imagine he wanted to get up and say, hey, this ain't going to happen. It wasn't my idea, no way. You're the one that thought this up. But the Lord spoke to Abraham and said, Abraham, don't let this be grievous in your sight because of the lad because of the bondwoman and all that Sarah has said to you listen to her for in Isaac shall your seed be so here's what happened God intervened in that situation and said Abraham you need to do what your wife is saying he's still doing that today ladies he's still doing that today you need to hear what your wife is saying don't let it be grievous to you. Just go ahead and do it. So Abraham has to, has to take Ishmael and Hagar and send them out. And that's a, that's a picture there, guys, of, of God dealing with that, that fleshly connection in our lives that sometimes we have to get rid of of that flesh it's hard it's not easy but listen God wants to deal with that area in our lives and so God dealt with that Abraham was submissive to God and, and allowed God to work in that and God moved in that and and the awesome thing about it is this that then Abraham was tested by God to take his son to the mountain But here's something that I didn't bring out Sunday, and, and Lord willing, uh, we're going to preach on this tomorrow night, is that, that when Abraham had drawn the knife back to slay his son, and the Lord stopped him and said, don't, don't, don't harm your son. Don't put the knife to your son. And after Abraham saw the ram in the thicket, the Lord spoke, and look at, listen to what he said. He said, now I know, now I know that you will be faithful. Now I know that you will be obedient. That is an awesome statement 
Think about when God looks at you and says, now I know. Now I know. I think it all had to do with some decisions that Abraham made in chapter 21 where he said, God, there is nothing, there is nothing bigger than what you are wanting to do in my life. So if it requires me separating from this, I'll separate. And God said, now I know. So God wants to get each one of us to that place. Now, he might not use those circumstances, but he will use other circumstances to bring us to a place. And you say, well, Pastor, what if I don't want to go to that place? Well, God's not going to twist your arm. He's not going to take a limb to you and beat you and make you do something that you don't want to do. God's not going to make you set yourself up for a blessing. He's not going to make you set yourself up to prosper in him. He's going to offer it to you. And if you say, okay, I want it, then get in and go and buckle your seatbelt. And God says, we're going to take a ride. And you won't never regret it. Listen, I'll never regret my journey with, with Christ. I'll never regret my journey with God. I don't own a, a two-story mansion on top of a hill. I don't have a five-car garage. I don't have all the finer things in life, but there's one thing that I do have, and that is peace on the inside, joy on the inside. When everything else is falling apart, I've still got joy. I've still got peace. I've got hope. And that hope tells me that tomorrow God has got me in his hands. And I wouldn't trade that for anything. So I was thinking about that today, and, and, and I was, I was going to uh, really do some more uh, work in that. And, and the Lord just kind of directed my, my steps to Isaiah chapter 66. And I want us to look at verse 1 because it kind of ties in together with what we've been talking about. Uh, when you think about worship and when you think about getting before God and worshiping before God, Listen, the proud person will never be able to worship. The one who has a haughty attitude will never experience true worship. But in Isaiah chapter 66, beginning with verse 1, and I'm going to just read two verses. Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool what is the house that you would build for me and what is the place of my rest one version says where is the house that you will build me and where is the place of my rest all these things my hand has made and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. 
Now listen to this. But this is the one to whom I will look. This is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Now I want you to get this. Where is God taking me? Where is God taking you? He's taking to a place he's taking us to a place of intimacy with him. He's taking us to a place of of relationship with him, of closeness to him that we've never been before. He's taking us to a place. Think about this. God said to Isaiah the last part of that verse <clears throat> he said but this is the one to whom I will look in other words what does it take to turn the face of God to you when when Abraham was on that mountain and God looked and said, now I know. God didn't look at Abraham and said, wow, I had no idea that you would do this. He didn't look at Abraham and said, wow, man, I can't believe you're doing this. I mean, I know I told you to do it or I asked you to do it, but I had no idea that you would bring Isaac up here on this mountain and, and put him on the altar. God didn't say, now I know, because he didn't know. God said, now I know, because sometimes God will allow and, 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 and uh, allow us to get in situations in our lives, not to prove something that he did not know. God didn't test Abraham because he didn't know something. God tested Abraham because Abraham did not know something. God tested Abraham, and when God said, now I know, it wasn't that God just figured it out. It was the fact that Abraham just proved it out to himself. And when God says, to this one will I look, this is the one that will turn my head. This is the one that will cause me to turn my face back to them. And he said, it is the one who is humble it is the one who is contrite in spirit it is the one that trembles at my word guys I want you to know today that we're in one of the worst times that the world has ever known people now consider nothing about changing the word of God they consider nothing about about de defaming the name of God defaming the name of Jesus they think nothing about trampling on the word of God there is there is very little respect in our culture today for the word of God it, and and to go even farther than that 
There is very little respect in many churches for the Word of God because the Word has now been fashioned to fit the ideas and the lust of the flesh of so many people that they change the Word, they tweak the Word. If I want to do this, then I'll tweak the Word to make it fit in my agenda. If I want to step out on my wife, then I'll tweak the Word and make it fit to my agenda to fulfill the lust of my flesh. But listen, I want to tell you something tonight. God is still God. He has been God ever since the day, uh, even before the beginning. He has been God, and he will be God. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is the first and the last. And, and listen, you might change his word. You might tweak his word to fit into your agenda. But listen, it doesn't matter how you tweak it. God's word still stays the same. And I fully believe tonight that the reason that Holy Spirit is dealing with me so much about this worship thing and about this this, uh, humility and brokenness and dealing with the flesh is that God is saying, if you could see through the eyes of the Spirit what I desire to do at McCullough Christian Center in Atmore, Alabama, if you could see through the eyes of your spirit, you would recognize that the only way that it's going to happen is if you humble yourself down before me and if, if you tremble at my word. What is it? Listen, here's the awesome thing about this that caught my, uh, caught my eye when I read this. That God said, thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne. That is, that is one thing that is assured heaven is the throne of God. But listen, then he said this. He said, the earth is my footstool. And the first thing that crossed my mind was this. How awesome it is that the God whose heaven is his throne would look down and say, the earth is my footstool. And then he would look at Cornelius Phillips and said, you are my child. You are a son of mine. You have been birthed by the blood of my son that was shed on the cross of Calvary. You are a child of mine. Listen, the awesome thing about it is that God who is that mighty, who is that awesome, who is that vast, that his throne is in heaven and his earth is on the footstool. His earth is the footstool. Think about it, that he loves you, that he would put his hand on Robert Hood. He would put his hand on on uh, uh, Andre Owens. He would put his hand on Tim Barber and say, I love you enough to redeem you, restore you, and renew you, and I'm going to use you. See, that's That's, that's just beyond. I. And, and then God said, where's the house that, that you are building me? Where is the place of my rest? Now, he had just said, the, the heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. So I'm saying, God, or you're talking about this house that you uh, that 
that we're building for you. And what are you talking about? This place of rest. You just said that that your your uh, living room is in heaven, and your footstool is in on the earth. So what is he talking about? This place, this place, this house, this place of rest. Solomon. in all of his glory built this this temple that was just mind-boggling he built this temple for God a place for God to dwell in with gold and silver and just all kinds of things there was magnificent temple that he built so that God would have a place on earth to dwell. But then in 1 Kings chapter 8 and verse 27, Solomon said, but, but will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built. Think about that. That that must have been a a, a humbling revelation. Solomon had been building this temple. He's put it together. the The Bible says there wasn't never a sound of a hammer or chisel heard in the building of the temple. It was all fashioned and formed and brought there and put together. And it was a magnificent temple, even so magnificent. That, that people would travel for miles and miles just to come and view it, to see it. And then Solomon gets this revelation of God, and he says, God, will you indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I built yet? Have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his plea. O Lord my God, listening to the cry and to the prayer that your servant prays before you this day. So Solomon said, God, I built this house, but I know this house can't contain you. God, you are, you are, you can't be contained by space. You can't be contained by space. In Acts chapter 7 and verse 47, Stephen was preaching that, that message that, that brought the house down on him. He was preaching this message that, that caused uh, those listening to, to run at him and, and gnash at him with their teeth. And in verse 47, Stephen made this statement. He said, but Solomon built him a house how be it, the Most High dwells not in temples made with hands, as said the prophet. So God said, heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool, but where is the house that you have built for me? Now think about this. Let, let me read this. In Revelation chapter 21 and verse 2, John the Revelator said, And I, John, 
saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. Think about this. Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. He will dwell with them. He will be with them. He will be in them. And they will be his people. John the Revelator saw that way down yonder. We're way up here. He saw that way down yonder. Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. But look what Jesus said way back here. John chapter 14 and verse 22. <clears throat> Judas, not Iscariot, <clears throat> said to him, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest yourself unto us and not unto the world? And Jesus answered in verse 23 of John chapter 14. Jesus answered and said to him, if a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him. And we, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. In other words, Jesus said, the only prerequisite for having me in your house is if you love me and keep my words. He said, if you do that, it wasn't no maybe so, wasn't no might be, wasn't no if I can get a plane ticket on this day or a bus ticket tomorrow. Jesus said, if a man loves me and keeps my word, he said, my father and I will love him and we will come and tabernacle with him we have this treasure in earthen vessels when God spoke to Isaiah and said where's the house that you're going to build me where's the rest or where I can rest I believe that what God was saying I'm looking for some houses I'm looking for some places of rest since my throne is in heaven and my footstool is on earth, I'm looking for some places on earth that I can come and rest. And God is saying, I found some men and women that I can dwell in. I found some men and women that will humble themselves down, that will be contrite in their spirit, that will tremble when I speak. They will tremble. God said, it is those that I'm looking for to build myself in or to invest myself in. I'm fixing to close. 
Listen, I want to I want to close with with this uh, with this story, and I'm, I'm going to do it real quickly. Most of us in here, if you <clears throat> if you've read in the Old Testament, you're probably familiar with the story of King Josiah, King Josiah in the book of Second Kings, chapter twenty-two, uh, is the story of King Josiah. King Josiah took over the kingship when he was. I think he was eight years old. And Josiah, his father, was a wicked, wicked man. He was a wicked king. And Josiah came on the throne at, at about eight years old. If, uh, I might be off there a little bit. But anyway, he was a young kid when he came on the throne. But the Bible says that Josiah's heart was turned to God. And Josiah had a love for God. He didn't get it from his daddy. He got it from his great-great-grandfather, David. But Josiah had a heart to serve God. He had a heart for God. And after he came on as king over the, the, the little nation of Judah, that he uh, sent some men into the temple because the temple had been desecrated and destroyed. And so he sent some men in and he began to rebuild the temple. He began to rebuild. Now, you got to look at this in the natural. He sent men in to rebu rebuild the dwelling place at that time of God. And <clears throat> so as they went in, and they begin to clean out. They begin to get all the rubble out of the house of God. I mean, you know, we have to clean the rubble out of our lives every once in a while. But they begin to clean all the rubble out of out of the the temple. <clears throat> and as they were doing the cleaning, somebody found the book of the law. In other words, somebody discovered the word of God. You got to realize that that during this time they had been they had been uh, in war. They had been under the judgment of God. <clears throat> they had had wicked kings that had desecrated the temple. They had wicked kings that had allowed every god you can imagine, little G, come in. Uh, it was Baal. It was Asherah. It was Molech. It was all kind of gods that had come in and, and the, the place of worship had been desecrated. The word of God no longer had a place in the public square and people had not even heard of the word of God, many of them. But as they were cleaning, they found the book of the law. They brought it to Josiah and they began to read to him out of the book of the law. And the Bible says that when Josiah heard the words of God, that he began to rent, he rent his clothes. He rent his clothes and, and, uh, <clears throat> and just began to worship God. And as they began to develop, Josiah began to, to turn things around. And there are three things that I want uh, real quickly Real, real quickly to give you tonight if you're writing it down you can write it down 
since 2 Kings chapter 23. If you look at verses 1 through 3, Josiah renewed Judah's commitment to the covenant with God. In other words, if you want revival in your life, if you want restoration in your life, you need to renew your covenant with God. Renew your walk with God. The second thing that Josiah did is found in chapter 23, verses 4 through 14. Second Kings chapter 23, verses 4 through 14. Josiah eliminated idolatry. Josiah come in and cleaned house. I mean, he come in and took a big old broom and swept the house and cleaned the house. Listen, when you clean the house, you can look out because God is going to bless. He is going to move in your life. When you say, God, I don't want anything in my life that would oppose you. I don't want anything in my life that would grieve your spirit. I don't want anything in my life that would quench the flow of Holy Spirit in my life, God. I'm, I'm, I'll lay it down. I'll get rid of it. The other thing that I want you to see is found in 2 Kings 23, verses 15 through 20. <clears throat> this is something that we mentioned just briefly uh, a couple weeks ago when we were talking about the woman of Samaria, the woman at the well. And we talked about how that she said, uh, you know, uh, our fathers worshipped here on this mountain and, and all that. And we talked about the city of Samaria. I think it was on a Sunday or might have been Wednesday night. But Samaria and how Samaria came about. Well, Samaria came about uh, and uh, Jeroboam was, was the king that, that built the altar and built the place of worship to keep people from going to Jerusalem. Remember that? Anybody remember that? That's all right, don't lie. If you, do, if you don't remember it, you don't. You. But Jeroboam built this altar, and he hired priests that were not priests to come simply because he wanted to keep the people of God away from Jerusalem. And, and so... But God sent a prophet. Jeroboam was standing by the altar, and God sent a prophet and said, God's going to bring judgment on this. He's going to bring judgment on you. Josiah was the judgment hand of God. Josiah came in and destroyed the altar that Jeroboam had established did exactly what the prophet of God said that they were going to do, crushed it into, to made it, and made it dust, crushed it. In other words, if you want revival to happen in your life, you've got to deal with the altars. A places where you worship. 
that are not godly. Pastor, I don't understand what you're saying. Listen, your job could be an altar for you. Your hobby could be an altar for you. Anything that takes your attention and your time more than God could be a place where you worship. And God said, hey, don't forget, I gave you that job. Don't forget, I gave you the ability to do that hobby. Don't put it ahead of me. Don't worship that job ahead of me. Don't worship that hobby ahead of me. Don't spend your time doing something over here that's taken away from my time. <clears throat> Listen, the word humble means to be poor and needy. It's what Jesus said in Matthew 5 and verse 3 when he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The word contrite simply means maimed, <coughs> stricken, or crippled. Why would God in the book of Isaiah say that this is the one that will turn my face, the one who is humble and contrite in spirit? God wasn't saying I'm looking for crippled people. He was saying I'm looking for people whose spirit has been wounded by me. I'm looking for people whose spirit has been touched by me and that will tremble at my word. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me, please? Psalm 34, 18 says that the Lord is near to them that are of a broken spirit and a contrite heart. So in order for me to see God do things in my life that, that perhaps I've been praying for, maybe God is saying, I want to do those things and I want to be greater in your life. But sometimes you have to deal with flesh. Sometimes you have to deal with the carnal side of yourself humble yourself under God let God deal with you lay yourself on the altar and say Lord here I am whatever you need to do in me then do it because I want all of you that I can get hallelujah <clears throat>